The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Shout, this is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a year. Today, Namplange, Vandach, Nasi Chaye. I will learn from God's word and my life will never be the same again because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. And so we started a series uh, last week, and it's going to be a two-part series uh, because I can't cover all the things that I really wanted to cover, uh, lest I confuse uh, you know, some of you. So we're going to do it uh, bite-sized. And so we started a series last week talking about uh, understanding the times. And so we, our foundational scripture was Hebrews uh, chapter number 1 from verse 1, which says, uh, God who had sundry times... Uh, and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, as in these last days. Someone say last days. And so this was written 2,000 years ago, and he was already calling it last days. And we say that phrase, last days, does not mean final days. Amen? When he says last days, he's talking about the final installment or the final dispensation before we check out and we are reconciled with our Heavenly Father. Amen? So the last days have been going on for the last two thousand years. The prophet Joel prophesied of these last days. He said in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And he says, young men shall see visions and old men uh, shall, shall dream dreams. Amen. And so last days, don't let that phrase uh, throw you off. These are the days that you and I uh, live in. So he says, God is in these last days spoken unto us by his son, all through his word, because we know that Jesus is his word. Amen? He says he has spoken to us uh, by his son, whom he has appointed, heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And so if you back down to verse 1, this is what he says. He says, God who at sundry times in diverse manners, and we say that phrase sundry times is the Greek word polymeros, which means in different dispensations or different ages. And building up to the dispensation that you and I live in, uh, it started off in the Garden of Eden with the dispensation known as the dispensation of innocence. That was Adam and Eve, and it transitioned into what is known as the dispensation of conscience, where each man determined what was right according to their own heart, and it moved into the dispensation of human government. Remember the Tower of Babel, where men thought that they could exclude God in, in the equation and still make it, and it was a tremendous uh, uh, a failure. The project was a mess. Amen? And it transitioned into the dispensation of promise where God gave his promise to Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations. And we know that out of Abraham came uh, two very powerful nations. The first one is the Jewish nation and the second one is the church that you and I belong in and we were invited to be a part of. Amen? I said amen. And after the dispensation of promise came the dispensation of the law. That's also in the Old Testament, transitioning into the dispensation of grace. So you and I live in what is called the dispensation of grace. And it's interesting that the dispensation of grace is the longest out of all the dispensation, which points to God's grace and mercy. It is everlasting. It is brand new every single morning. And so God is extending this dispensation because he has made an invitation to the world so that he can be reconciled with his earthly family. Amen? Our Heavenly Father is a good God and he wants to be reconciled uh, with you. And so last week we talked about what it means to be a part of this awesome dispensation that Jesus speaking said, the Old Testament saints longed and desired to see the things that you and I see. The Old Testament saints uh, longed to hear uh, the things that we hear. They longed to be a part of of this awesome dispensation where the Holy Spirit, who is God, came to indwell the believers. 
The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of every believer who has, of course, received Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior and has been baptized uh, in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Man, you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. The Apostle Paul said, uh, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the living God? They are the temples of the Holy Spirit. You and I have, uh, have an advantage. We have an edge over the world because we have God living on the inside of us. Amen? And the Holy Spirit doesn't come to make you weird. The Holy Spirit is, is, is much more than goosebumps and craziness. The Holy Spirit is strategic in nature. Amen? The Holy Spirit can teach you how to do your job and do it well. The Holy Spirit can show you things to come in your assignment. He can show you innovation. Man, a bunch of religious people don't realize that God is innovative in nature. God is creative in nature. He creates a new skyline every single morning. And in the evening, he splashes some stars just to show off. Just Our God is a creative being. Amen? I said amen. And so when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, don't relegate him to religious things. When the Bible says you will show you things to come, what that means is you can take him with you to work on a Monday morning. Amen. Amen. See, a, lot, a majority of the body of Christ don't think that the Holy Spirit can work a spreadsheet. <laughs> so after church, they leave him here so they can go do some serious work. And they relegate him to the ancient days, you know, the days of uh, uh, Moses. Yeah, he can split the Red Sea out there, but I'm not sure he understands anything about the Internet. The Holy Spirit knew about the Internet in the Garden of Eden. Amen. Amen. And so when you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, you have an advantage over the world. Can I get a good amen? amen? And so we are in the dispensation of grace where God lives on the inside of us. We have a priesthood uh, of every believer. We have gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, flowing through every believer, not just kings and prophets. Every believer can function in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we live in the greatest time ever. And so last week we you know, talked about what that means to be a part of the church age the dispensation of grace. And today we're going to go a little further and talk about how God has planned to wrap it all up. Amen? Jesus had something to say about it. And so quickly, let us go now to Matthew chapter number 24. We know that the seventh dispensation is the millennial reign of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, where Jesus himself will come, rule and reign in the earth for a thousand years. Amen? Oh, man, this is good. How many of you know that heaven is going to be awesome? Man, heaven is going to be better than you've ever imagined. Amen? Heaven is way beyond your imagination. Most church folk, you know, myself included, when, when, when I was, you know, uh, when every time I would attempt to imagine anything about heaven, all I could see was a, a bunch of uh, folk wearing white robes with shaven heads and just walking around humming in a boring manner, just, ooh, ah, and then we go to sleep. The next day we wake up and we're, ooh, ooh, ah, and we get our shaven, our heads shaven again so we can be shiny. Man, heaven is way better than that. Amen. I said heaven is way better than that. Jesus said, I'm going back to my father and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he has been preparing it for the last 2,000 years. That just shows you how glorious it's going to be. When God created the heavens and the earth, he only took him six days. Now, Jesus has been creating this thing for the last 2,000 years. It's going to be awesome. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 4.18, it says the path of the righteous is like the shining sun. It says it, it gets brighter and brighter until the full shining of the day. What that means is from the day that you get born again, your life is supposed to get better and better and better all the way into when you check into heaven. Amen. Amen. Man, heaven is going to be awesome. Scientists will tell you the universe has for the last 6,000 years been expand, expanding at the speed of light. And the only thing that scientists know is the galaxy that you and I live in called the Milky Way. That's the only one they know. In fact, they sent a shuttle way back in 1978 to go into space. That shuttle hasn't even left the Milky Way. It hasn't even left the galaxy that you and I live in. 
So we don't even know what's out there. And I believe what's out there is what God has been preparing for the last eons for his children. Man, God has a place for you that's going to be fun. Amen. I'm looking forward to heaven. God has some things for us in store that are, that are going to be fun. Amen. And so Jesus in Matthew 24 begins to talk to his disciples about these things. So we call this the uh, Olivet Discourse. It's the uh, teachings in chapter number 24 of Matthew and chapter number 25 uh, that talk about the coming uh, future. And Jesus, uh, in this uh, passage of scripture, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And so we see here the disciples going to Jesus, and they were excited about the temple uh, in Jerusalem. They were so excited because it was the uh, pride of the Jewish people, and it was one of the seven wonders of the world. And so as they were walking past it, they say, Jesus, look at how awesome and magnificent uh, this building is. And they were expecting Jesus uh, to be impressed by that. But this is what Jesus said to them. Verse 2, And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily, I say unto you, they shall not be left here one stone uh, upon another that shall not be thrown down. So essentially what Jesus is saying is, oh no, don't worry about it. This thing is going to be destroyed. What an anticlimax, <laughs> right? I mean, they are saying, look at this thing, man. This thing is awesome. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. This thing is going to be destroyed. And so in verse 3, the disciples began to ask some questions. And he says in verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Man, we've heard of wars and rumors of wars. Rumors of wars is talking about, you know, the cold wars. You know, the, the war that is, uh, we've previously come out of. You know, the war versus, uh, between capitalism and uh, communism, the Berlin War, all that kind of stuff. You're going to hear uh, of those things. He says, you shall hear of wars uh, and rumors of wars. And he says in verse 6 and uh, verse 7, For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines. We've seen famines. We've seen nations rise against uh, each other nation. We've seen uh, uh, famines. We've seen pestilences. He says there's going to be pestilences. And the other word for pestilences is plagues. And, you know, the COVID-19 is a part of what Jesus was prophesying, that closer to the end times, there's going to be uh, plagues, you know, COVID-19 and things of that nature. In fact, I read somewhere last week, they were saying uh, the bird flu is back. <laughs> Jesus prophesied all of that. And earthquakes in diverse places. And verse 8 should excite you. Jesus said, and these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, that's English. And if you look it up in the, in the Greek, uh, it says, and these are the beginning of birth pangs. Or these are the beginning of labor pains. Uh, the world or the earth has been pregnant uh, for the last, you know, 6,000 years. It's been pregnant. And now it's getting ready to give birth to what is known as the millennial reign of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where a new earth is going to come from the heavens and there's going to be a new heaven. Amen. And so Jesus said, when you start to hear these things, uh, these things are assigned to you. In fact, he told the believers in Luke that when you start seeing these things, it's not time for you to be depressed. It's actually time for you to look up and get excited because your redemption draws near. Amen. So while other people are getting depressed about these things being at the foot of the other, man, we just have, we haven't even come out of COVID. Now, bird flu is bad. Man, what are we going to do? The believers should be dancing. You know why? Because we know our redemption is near. We know we are getting ready to step into our own. It's about to get awesome. Amen? Man, when you read the Bible, you're going to have a different perspective from the world. But when you read the news, you're going to be depressed. The human being is the only creature God created that has the ability to stand up on their two and look up, watch this, all the time. You and I can walk around looking up, having a heavenly perspective. Amen? And that's what God wants you to do, to look up because our redemption is near. Hallelujah. 
you know, way back in the past, these things used to happen far in between each other. You know, you'd have one earthquake today and then another one in a hundred years. Now they're one at the foot of the other. You know why? Because we are getting ready to give birth. The earth is getting ready to give birth into this millennial reign of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where things are going to be awesome. Jesus himself will sit on, on the throne and he will govern uh, with fairness, with love, uh, with uh, boldness, with direction. We're going to know exactly where we are going. Man, in the new heaven, in the new earth, while wow, Jesus is the king, we're not going to have a Zondo commission. Jesus is going to be taking care of business. So awesome. It's going to be beautiful. Amen? Yeah. I said amen. And so if you go back to verse 3, we look at the questions that the disciples asked. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? So the first question the disciples asked was when? Jesus, you're saying the temple is going to be destroyed. The question was, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And this question is answered in Luke chapter number. Uh, let's go to Luke. Oh, man, I'm looking at my notes here. Luke chapter number 21 from verse 20 to 24. Luke chapter number 21 from verse 20 to 24. Man, this is going to be awesome if you're paying attention. Amen. This is not nap time. Hunt your neighbor and say, this is not nap time. <laughs> this is not nap time. I'm, this is what it says in verse 20. It says, uh, and you know, he's answering the first question, when shall the temple be destroyed? And this is what Jesus said. We call these the synoptic gospels because they have the same story taught from different perspectives. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, those three are called the synoptic gospels because it's one story, but you can look at it from different perspectives, right? And uh, John uh, is not a part of the synoptic gospels. So these two, we can read and take parts of the story and actually put it together and have a complete picture, right? And so in Matthew 24, the first question they asked, uh, Luke recorded it in verse 20 to 24 and he said this he says when you shall see jerusalem compassed with armies or surrounded by armies then you know that the desolation therefore is near then you know that they're getting ready to destroy the temple then uh, let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein too, for these will be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be a great distress in the land, and wrath upon these people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all the nations. Jerusalem shall be trodden and down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So this uh, portion of scripture was already fulfilled in A.D. 80. In A.D. 80, if you read uh, Josephus' account of this uh, event, there were armies that came to surround, Roman armies that came to surround Jerusalem, and they were led by a general called uh, General Titus. And Titus was uh, a son of the uh, Roman emperor at the time, and he came to Jerusalem, surrounded the, the city, and Jesus said to his followers and those who listened to his message that when this happens, this is going to be a sign, flee to the mountains. And when this happened, uh, they fleed to the mountains and they fleed to all the different nations and uh, uh, General Titus wound up burning the entire city of Jerusalem uh, at the time and many were killed uh, uh, during that uh, uh, event and uh, this is what happened. Jesus had said it is at that event that this temple is going to be destroyed. Now when they came in there, Titus actually told his soldiers, he said, I don't want you to destroy the temple. So he came and said a word that was contrary to what Jesus had said. Jesus had said, this thing is going to be destroyed. He came and he said, uh, don't destroy the temple. And so we see two words here, a prophetic word from Jesus and a word of instruction from a general, which uh, uh, ordinarily should not be disobeyed. So these are two strong words that represent two kingdoms, right? And so which one is going to come to pass? He has told his soldiers, don't touch the temple. And so something interesting began to happen. Happened is that as they burnt the city, the gold that was at the roof of the temple began to melt and it found itself in the cement and in the bricks of the temple. And the soldiers in their greed were saying, no way, we're going to leave all this gold. Sure. So they disobeyed uh, their general, which is unknown. 
in those days, because you could get killed, they disobeyed the general just so that the words of the Son of Man can come to pass. And they destroyed the temple. And that was the destruction of the nation that is known as Israel. That was the end of it, A.D. 80. But we have another scripture in Matthew 25, verse 32, which says, when the fig tree is starting to put on leaves and is starting to blossom, know this, that the summer is near. Fig tree represents Israel. And he was saying summer, the word summer there represents the millennial reign of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And essentially what he was saying was, hey, when you start to see the nation of Israel blossoming again, coming together again, and blossoming and putting on leaves, then you know that the end is near. Amen? Get excited because summer is coming. How many like summer? I like summer. Get excited because summer is coming. That's what he was saying, right? Right? And we know that the nation of Israel has now been reborn in 1948. Man, we live in the most exciting times. Because we see all these prophetic words come to pass. And it's just so exciting to see what God is doing in this season. In 1948, the nation was reborn. Before that, it was just known as a piece of land, you know, plagued by malaria, Palestine. There was nothing going on up there. And now we can see the nation blossoming. I mean, scientifically, they are blossoming. In the realm of technology and so on, the Jews, they are blossoming. The nation of Israel is blossoming, and that's a sign to us that we are drawing closer and closer to stepping into the millennial reign of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Exciting news. Amen. Amen? And the second question that the disciples asked was, what shall be uh, the sign of your coming? What's the sign of your coming? What's the sign? And this is answered in uh, verse 27 to verse 51 of uh, Matthew chapter number 24. And I might add, do not worry about this, because when this happens, you and I are not going to be here. It's good news. Because this is going to be crazy. And the third one was, what's the sign for the end of the world? And if you read in verse 9 to 26, he gives you the sign for his second coming. Jesus, when he's coming to wage war and battle with the nations that would have uh, surrounded Israel to destroy it. And you and I are not going to be here. We're going to be with him, and we're not going to be here to see all of that. Amen? We, we've joined uh, the, the winning team. Hallelujah. And so what's going to happen uh, in this dispensation? What is going to happen? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 from verse 51. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, uh, verse 51. It says in verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, this is the Apostle Paul uh, sharing with us a mystery. In John chapter number 16, uh, verse 12, Jesus is getting ready to wrap up his ministry, and this is what he says to his disciples. He says, I still have many things to tell you, and then he left them. <laughs> he said, I still have many things to tell you, and he left them, but he didn't leave them as orphans. If you read verse 13, he told them, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he will show you things to come. So the Apostle Paul, under the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, began to see these things that he's about to share with us. The church age, in and of itself, was actually a mystery hidden in God. The Old Testament saints didn't see it coming. And now he's showing us another mystery, which is commonly known as the rapture. Now, you won't find the word rapture in the Bible. You're not going to find it. It doesn't exist in the Bible, just like you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. But it doesn't mean that the truth behind the Trinity is not real. Amen? We know that there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we call it the Trinity, but you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. And the rapture is commonly known in the Bible as being caught up. But the word itself, rapture, you're not going to find it uh, in Scripture. And so the Apostle Paul is getting ready to talk about this mystery called the rapture. And he says in verse uh, 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, whenever you see that word mystery, for you and I, it's no longer a mystery because he is revealing it to us. Yes. Amen? So a New Testament believer should... Never ever say this. God speaks in mysterious ways. No, he has given you the Bible to speak in plain ways. 
Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all, someone say all. all. He said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all, someone say all. all. What's left outside of all? He said, but we shall all be changed. We are going to be changed. Someone say, I like change. <laughs> he says, we are going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So what's going to happen is that as Jesus comes, he's going to make a shout of victory and proclamation and all the saints. He said, my sheep hear my voice. All of us are going to hear that shout. And all of us as we get up we're going to be changed immediately. In the what? In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And your mortality will put on immortality. And in that moment, we are all going to be caught up. We are here. He said in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, right? I used to think that this would happen in slow motion. You know, Jesus is going to come down shh, like a spaceship. And then while he's uh, uh, just hanging in the air, hovering over us, he's going to make a shout. And then we are all in slow motion going to start to uh, be lifted up from the ground. And we can, you know, bye. <laughs> See you soon. No, it's going to happen so fast. In fact, when Jesus says, I come quickly, it doesn't, it doesn't mean I come soon. It means when it happens, it's going to be quick. Just snap, just boom. We're out of here. And someone may ask, who's going to be out of here? He answered it. It's a good question. He answered it. He said, behold, I show you a mystery, and we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Someone say, oh. So who's going to be out of here? Who's going to be out of here is all that is a part of the saints. Now, there are those in the body of Christ that teach that the only ones who are going to be raptured are those who are living holy lives. And so they say you need to be watchful because, you know, he may come any time. Now, I have a question for those of you who are Bible scholars. You know, especially those of you who are go to uh, Caris Bible College, we have a question for you. I have a question for all of you. And the question is this. Out of all the churches that the Apostle Paul wrote to, which one was the most carnal and most sinful church? The Corinthians, right? And now the Apostle Paul is saying to a bunch of carnal and sinful Christians that all of you are coming. <laughs> Did you read that? He said, all of you are coming. You know why? Because going is not based on your individual action. Yep. Yes. That's why we say we are in the dispensation of grace. Amen. Amen. God is not looking at your individual sins to determine your righteousness. If he did, all of us would be toast. In fact, Jesus showed up to the Pharisees, and I mean, the Pharisees thought they were goody two-shoes. I mean, they were walking around saying, man, even if we buy spices from pick and pay, we tithe off of that. We tithe everything, man. We, we are holy. The other guy was actually praying in the temple, and he was looking at another guy praying, saying, I'm a sinner. He said, Lord, I'm not like that guy. I'm, I'm holy. I tithe everything. I'm, and Jesus asked the question. He said, who do you think left justified? And unfortunately, and to my surprise, it was the sinner who went before God. You know why? Because the way to become righteous with God is not through obeying the law. The dispensation of the law is finished. It couldn't bring salvation. The way to have a relationship with God and to have salvation with God is to put your confidence and trust in Jesus. In the Old Testament, uh, sinful people were required to bring a lamb to the priest, a turtle dove, an animal to the priest. And when you bring the animal, the priest would pick up that animal and inspect it for any defects. And if the animal was perfect, he would put your sins on the animal. It, not at any point did the priest inspect the person. Because it was a known fact. You, you did something. <laughs> You is a sinner. Yeah. It was a known fact. 
In fact, Jesus went to the Pharisees. You think you're so righteous? And they said, man, we are so righteous. In fact, what they meant, the Pharisees, when they were talking about holiness, they, they just, when they were saying we are so righteous, all they were saying was, we haven't been caught yet. That's what individual holiness is. You just haven't been caught. Have you ever met these people who are holier than thou? The real deal is you just haven't been caught. And so Jesus said to them, Jesus said to them, this is what he said to them. He said, if you just look at a woman lustfully, Echa. The standard of God is if you look at your brother hatefully, you've already committed murder. So none of us could ever meet God's standard in our own strength. In fact, when we try, he says your own righteousness is as filthy rags. He says when you put together your own works of righteousness, trying to obtain your own salvation, it doesn't cut it. All of us need Jesus, and here's the good news. When God inspected the sacrifice, who is Jesus? He found him perfect, and through the blood of Jesus, you and I, when we put our trust in him, we obtain what is called eternal redemption. You can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus did at the cross. He took our sins so that we could be free from our sins. So I always find it interesting when people are trying to attain their own uh, salvation. And they always change the goalposts anyway. I went to those religious circles. Man, I've been there, done that. They always change their uh, uh, standard all the time. They change it with the seasons. I remember, uh, you know, when having an afro was in fashion, they said, man, the righteous ones must be bold. And then when Zuda, having a bold, was now in fashion, they said, ah, that's not godly. You must have at least one inch. I mean, they always change the standard. To the women, they would say, man, your skirt should be uh, ankle, it must touch your ankles. And then when they found, I mean, we had one lady, she was religious. It was bad. We went to Victoria Falls for a youth camp. I mean, she couldn't even wear shorts to the Vic Falls. I mean, she wore a thing that touched the ankles. And man, now when you go to the falls, uh, there's a splash. When you come closer to the falls, every often there's a big splash that comes and it splashes you. And that thing came and splashed it. Man, her robes were all wet and everybody's walking comfortably. Man, religion will mess you up. (laughs) Amen. God is not looking at any of that. God is looking at Jesus, and he was pleased with Jesus. And because he was pleased with Jesus, when you put your confidence and trust in Jesus, God is pleased with you. And so everyone who has done that is going to heaven. Three things are going to happen when you get to heaven. The first thing that's going to happen is you are going to be surprised you made it. I'm here. You know why you're going to be surprised? Because you know you. (laughs) Man, I made it. And the second thing that's going to surprise you is the people you expected to see there, some of them you're not going to see them there. You know why? Because the world standard looks at all these activists and they do moral good and so on and so forth, not to take anything away from that, but the way you are reconciled to God is not through your moral deeds. It is through what Jesus did at the cross. And some of you are going to walk in there and say, man, I expected to see such and such, but where are they at? <laughs> and then the third thing that's going to happen is that you're going to walk in and some people you didn't expect to see there are going to tap you on your shoulder and say, what's up, bro? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Yeah. I'm here. <laughs> you know why? Because anyone can make a decision. You remember the thief at the cross? And I do not by any means encourage anyone to live this way because when he comes, he comes like a thief in the night. He's going to be swift. So don't leave it until last minute. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. Today is the day to put your commitment and your trust in Jesus. And when you do that, man, we are all going to heaven. But here's the truth. The truth is it doesn't matter what someone has done their entire life. They may receive Jesus in the last moment, in the last uh, breaths that they uh, breathe here on the earth, and you can find them in heaven because it's not based on your individual action. I'm so glad it's not based on that. I'm so glad that it is uh, based on Jesus. 
Amen? So he says all of us shall be changed. All of us who have become what? Saints. Shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And our mortality shall put on immortality. What that means is your mortal body shall be changed and you shall have a glorious body. And Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he had a glorious body. He could walk through uh, uh, walls. I mean, it's going to be fun when we get our glorious bodies. It's going to be awesome. And it's going to look young forever. And when you wake up in the morning, you don't have to uh, take, you know, 30 minutes to uh, get in the groove. Just everything, just kind of, you know, getting the bones in shape so you can walk. No, you're just going to get up and you go. Walk through walls. Mars, you're already in Mars. Amen? This one is going to bless the man in here. When Jesus had put on his uh, 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 immortal body, he went to the disciples and he says, give me fish to eat, so there's still going to be food in heaven. <laughs> We're still going to braai in heaven, amen? It's going to be awesome. We're not going to be eating for sustenance. We're going to be eating just to enjoy the blessing of the Lord. Amen. Man, God has been creating all of these things for his children. Heaven is going to be fun. There's going to be lots to do in heaven. Man, when you start to have this perspective, man, you start to look forward to checking out. But when you don't have this perspective, man, going to heaven is going to be a, a frightening thing. When all you know is that pole of evil and you're holding on to it. And you don't think heaven could be better than the pole of evil. Man, you, you, you will be depressed by this sermon. But when you know that heaven is going to be better, man, there's nothing in the earth that can compare to where we are going. Our home is going to be awesome. And God knows how to prepare some fun things to do for his children. Heaven is going to be... Jesus said, I'm going to prepare mansions for you. It's going to be mansions. Amen. Some will run 10 cities. If you read Luke 19, some will run 10 cities. Some will run 20 cities. I mean, we're going to have lots to do. Amen. And so if you go to Colossians chapter number three, where's my time? Oh, there it is. Ooh, time goes fast when you're having fun. I was at the gym on the treadmill. Time was slow. When I put my towel over that thing. Just hoping by the time I remove the towel, it's going to be 35 minutes. Remove that thing, two and a half minutes. <laughs> Should have been that fast on the treadmill, right? Colossians 3 verse 4. Listen what it says. It says, when Christ, who is our life. Someone say, Christ is my life. It says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, right? He's talking about the rapture. Then we also shall appear with him in glory. Snatched up. And appear with him in glory. Amen. Amen. Let's go now to Colossians. The book of Colossians, the letter to the church at uh, uh, Thessalon Thessalonians. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. Does that say Colossians? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4. We're going to read from verse 13 to 18. The book of Thessalonians was written to the church at Thessalonica. And the purpose of this book was to uh, reveal these truths that we are talking about today. There were many in that community. We had lost some loved ones. And uh, because of that, they were depressed. And so the Apostle Paul wanted to give them hope. He wanted to speak to them and tell them that what you see is not everything. There is more to come. Amen? He wanted to show them that death is not the end. It, it's actually the beginning. And so he wrote this letter. Now listen what he said in uh, verse 13 of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from the heavens with a shout. Man, we're going out with victory. We're not going out as wimps. Amen. He says he shall descend from the heavens with a shout. 
and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord forever. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So he said, take this message and preach it to everyone so that they can have comfort. And so after the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica, there were some, you know, uh, uh, false prophets and false teachers that wrote their own counterfeit letter and went to the church at Thessalonica and said, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul. And the letter said, oh no, this is Paul speaking. Uh, I actually made a mistake in my last letter and I've since changed my mind. The rapture has already happened, and the reason why the people there thought that the rapture has already happened was because Nero was persecuting the church, and uh, they thought that Nero was the Antichrist, and so they thought that we were already in the seven years of tribulation. And so they snuck that letter in there, and so the Apostle Paul had to write a follow-up letter in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 from verse 1. And he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Did you see that? There's a difference between when Jesus comes back at the second coming right at the end and the first time he comes through the rapture. When he comes through the rapture, we gather unto him. When he comes back for the second coming, we are going to be going with him, behind him in battle. If you read in Jude chapter number 1 verse 14, it says, Enoch prophesied this. And he said that when the Lord shall come, we shall come with him. Thousands are going to be coming with him. Thousands upon thousands are going to be coming with the Lord uh, to wage a battle uh, against the nations. They're called the nations, the Gentile nations that are going to conspire to want to destroy the nation of Israel. It's going to be the year, seven years of tribulation. After we are raptured, it's going to be seven years. If you read Daniel chapter number 9, 25 to 27. In 27, it actually gives a prophetic word around what's going to happen during the seven years of tribulation. He says in the first, he uses days actually uh, to point to the years. He says in the first uh, three and a half days, Israel is going to join forces with this Antichrist because they won't know exactly what he's about. But in the third, um, three and a half years, after three and a half years, this dude is going to go to Israel and try to sit in the seat of Messiah in the temple and it is in that moment their eyes will be open and realize this is the Antichrist and they're going to cut ties and this guy is going to try to wage war against Israel, surround them and it's going to be the biggest battle ever recorded in the history of the world because as they, were trying to, as they are trying to smite Israel, we are going to show up as the good guys. Have you ever watched a movie where the main actor shows up uh, right on time? It may look like it's late, but it's going to be right on time. And so Jesus is going to be leading the battle, and all the saints are going to be with him. If you read in Revelation 20, he says there's going to be a sword proceeding out of his mouth, double-edged sword of fire, and with his words, he is going to smite the nations. And it's going to be the biggest battle ever recorded because they say uh, in Revelations, blood will flow up to the bridle of the horses. It's going to be fun. Because <laughs> we are on the good side. See, some of you are putting yourselves on the bad side. No, we are on the good side, so it's going to be fun. Amen? Amen. As he executes judgment. So, now, verse 1, he says, uh, by our gathering together unto him, right? And uh, verse 8 uh, actually talks about how we're going to come with the Lord, behind uh, uh, the Lord. But if you read now, verse 2, he says, I, I write this so that you may not be soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by a letter as if from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. It hasn't happened yet. It's still to come. Amen. In fact, let me read verse 2 in English. Let's go to the NIV. Let's go to the uh, uh, NIV. Sometimes the King James Bible, you know, it can throw you off a little bit. The New International Version, this is what it says. He says, I write this letter for you not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us. It's not from us. Whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter asserting that that day of the Lord has already come. It hasn't come yet. 
How are you going to know that it has come? He begins to explain that in uh, uh, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, the day of the revealing of the Antichrist, shall not come except they shall be a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Let's read it in the King James, please. Second Thessalonians chapter number uh, 2 verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 verse 3. It says, let no man deceive you by any means. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So essentially what he's saying, and I'm going to end with this. What he's saying is the day of the revealing of the Antichrist is not going to come until there is a falling away first. Now that phrase falling away has thrown a lot of people off. It's the Greek word apostasia, which also means a caught up. Or a rapture. So he's saying the Antichrist is not going to be revealed until the church is out of here. I told you last week that the church, just like the moon, it regulates the tides of evil. The reason why evil is not completely overrunning our schools and our communities and our nations is because the church is still here. And once the church is raptured, once you, once you take the moon out of the equation, it's going to be a tidal wave running through the communities and the nations of the world. So the church, as long as you and I are here, the Antichrist cannot be fully manifested. You know why? Because he's got some real opposition. As long as you and I can touch and agree on some things, as long as we can come to a place like this and worship God, man, it's going to stop evil in its tracks. As long as I still have a mouth and I can say something, I will stop evil in its tracks. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. But once the church is raptured and is out of here, it's going to be a tidal wave of evil. And this is what he says in verse 5. It gets interesting. This is what he says in uh, verse 5. Don't you remember that I told you about all of this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back. How many of you know what's holding him back? Now you know what's holding him back. It's the church. Amen. Amen. He says, and you know what's holding him back. You know what's holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. In other words, we can see glimpses of this thing. We can see glimpses of evil. I mean, it doesn't take much. Just look at the news. In America right now, they're saying, you know, boys can go into girls' bathrooms and girls can go into boys' bathrooms. They're saying boys can play women's sport as women. In fact, they're saying you can just show up. They, the latest one was there's about 97 different sexes. <laughs> they were saying, man, you can just show up and say, today I'm a lizard. And everyone at work has to address you as a lizard. And if they don't, they're going to be offended and they're going to be in the streets burning cars. How dumb can you get and still breathe? On, <laughs> yep. Amen. So we can already see glimpses. I mean, there's already glimpses. But once the church is taken out the way, it's going to be a tidal wave. They're going to have a full reign. So those seven years are going to be crazy. People are still going to get born again because they're still going to be evangelists here. To be specific, 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to be here. The witness uh, of the two uh, saints from heaven, and I believe it's my personal you know, uh, belief that it's going to be Enoch and uh, Elijah because they were raptured. I believe they're going to come back and, and evangelize through those uh, seven and a, and a half years. And uh, also YouTube. They, them people are going to stay behind. They're going be watching this sermon. What's up? They're going to be watching this, this teaching. Because Hollywood is going to try to explain it away. And say it was, you know, the aliens came and took them away and all kinds of stuff. But some of them are going to bump into this teaching and what's up? Amen. He says, verse 8, then the uh, man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord himself will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Wow. It's going to be fun. Just... Man, where we are headed is glorious. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And you can join the team. 
All you have to do, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. You put your trust in the perfect sacrifice. You have joined the family of God and you are going to heaven. Man, I'm so glad that God is not looking at my individual actions because I don't always get it right. I don't always discipline my children right. I don't always speak to them right. I also miss it sometimes. Yep. Sometimes I, you know, say things that I shouldn't uh, say. And so I know, uh, man, if it was according to my own actions, man, I would be toast. Yeah. <laughs> and there are some of you who are saying, man, I'll take my chances with my own righteousness. Well, suit you. Good luck with that. In fact, one guy got to heaven and he got to the pearly gates, met with Peter, and Peter asked him a question. He said, man... Uh, what makes you think you qualify to come into heaven? He said, okay, Peter, I'll break it down for you. I loved my wife, you know, for all the 50 years that we were married. And, and Peter, in fact, had said to him, for you to make it to heaven, you're going to need about 100 points. So the man uh, began to spell out all the things he had done. He said, man, I loved my wife for all our 50 years of marriage. And uh, Peter said to him, uh, half a point. And then he said, man, I went to church every Sunday, paid my tithes, and I served. And Peter said to him, uh, a quarter of a point. And then after he had gone through all the things that he had done, the dude was at about two and a half points. Ninety-seven and a half to go. And he couldn't find any other works to fill up the 97. And at that point he said, you know what? No one can make it. It's got to be by the grace of God. And Peter said, bingo, welcome to heaven. Got to be by the grace of God. Amen. Amen? It's not by your works. It's got to be by the grace of God. And so when we get to heaven, let's wrap up with this. When we get to heaven, a lot of people get thrown off by this. Second Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter number, uh, Second Corinthians, chapter number five, verse eight to ten. Where's my watch? Oh, there it is. Okay. All right. Can I take five more minutes? Is that all right? Five more minutes? Ten is fine. fine. We'll give you coffee. Coffee for everybody. (laughs) Second Corinthians 5 from verse 8 to 10. This is very important. This is going to help set someone free. This is very important. Wake your neighbor up and say, man, you need to hear this. This is very important. This is what it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, 10. It says, we are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. There's another scripture that says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So dying is not that hectic. Because to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, man, for me to die is gain. Man, if you want to live a life of winning, you have to Uh, adopt this attitude for me to die is gain to live is christ and to die is what gain wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ someone say judgment seat of christ now the apostle paul is talking to the corinthians and he said all of us must first when we get raptured we are all going to go to this place we must all First, appear before the judgment of Christ that everyone may receive things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad. A lot of people get thrown off by this. The people that are going to appear on the judgment seat of Christ are the born-again believers. And that phrase, judgment of Christ, let me write it down here. Judgment seat. Judgment of Christ. That place is the Greek word bima, not BMW. And this simply means the reward seat. There's not going to be any unbelievers on the judgment seat. It's going to be God's children. Now, let me explain further. Heaven is a gift from God. You don't earn it. It's not a reward. But within the gift of heaven, there are going to be rewards. Where did you get that, Pastor T? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 8. First Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 8. Let me read it in the New King James Bible, if you don't mind. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 8. You're going to have to look up for this one. This is going to be fun. It says, now he who plants... 
And he who waters are one. Now, the Apostle Paul was talking about him planting and Apollos watering. You remember the story? He says, he who plants and he who waters are what? They are one. And each one will receive his own what? They will receive their own what? Reward. According to his own labor. Both the one who plants and the one who waters, who are already born again believers, they are the ones that are going to receive the first, the gift of heaven. And within the gift of heaven, they are going to receive what? Rewards. You get that? So there are not going to be any unbelievers on the judgment seat. Unbelievers are going to be presented before God at the great white throne, where they are going to be judged and banished into hell forever, into the lake of fire forever. Amen? But believers are going to be presented at the, at the bima, the reward seat. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he uses this term, the judgment of Christ, he's borrowing from a Roman tradition where Olympians, after uh, going to the Olympics and representing Rome, they would come back to the nation and they would uh, receive rewards from the king. He would put uh, 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 crowns of olives over their head for receiving you know, gold medals, uh, silver medals, and bronze medals, and they would receive their rewards. And one of the rewards was was uh, you never ever have to pay taxes again in your life. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So that's the judgment seat of Christ, the beamer. The great white throne is going to happen later on after a thousand years of Jesus ruling on the earth. You get the picture? You get the picture now? So don't get thrown off by this phrase, the judgment uh, seat of Christ. So what happens? Everyone is going to receive uh, their own what? Rewards. Next verse. For we are God's fellow workers, who, you are God's field, and you are God's building. Next verse. According to the grace of God which he has given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. Verse 11. So pay attention to how you build. That's what he's saying. He's saying when God gives you assignments, pay attention to how you execute. Why? Because verse 11, for no other foundation can be, uh, can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw. So he now is breaking down uh, the two different classes that your works can be classified in. The first one is gold, silver, and precious stone. The second one is wood, hay, and straw. And what determines whether your works are gold, silver, and precious stone, or wood, hay, and straw, I believe, is the motive behind uh, doing what you do. If you don't do it with the right motive, it automatically becomes wood, hay, and straw. If you do it with the right motive, it becomes wood, silver. It becomes gold, silver, and precious stone. This is why Jesus said uh, through the Apostle Paul, he said that if you give your own body to be burnt and offered as a sacrifice and you don't do it motivated by love, it profits you nothing. Amen? And so when we get to heaven, all of our works are going to be checked out because God wants to reward you for your faithfulness. Amen? God is a rewarder. Verse 13. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. How many of you know that uh, wood, straw, and hay will all turn to ashes? Gold, silver, and precious stone will remain, right? Right? Each one's work will be, uh, become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Verse 14. If anyone's works or work which he has built uh, on, it endures. If anyone's work which he has built on, it endures, he will receive a reward. You're already in heaven. So those, some are going to receive a reward. Verse 15. If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So you'll still make it to heaven, except you just made it. <laughs> no, that's a joke. There are no second class citizens in heaven. Amen? So your works don't determine whether you make it to heaven. Hallelujah. But here's the deal, is that your works will uh, get you rewards within the gift of heaven. 
And it's not rewards and as in the sense of, you know, what we think of rewards. Really what it is is responsibilities, greater responsibilities. Because there's still going to be some work to be done. And if you read in Luke 19, someone else was given 10 cities to be uh, uh, in charge of. Someone else was given 20 cities to be in charge of. But we're all going to be in heaven. Amen? And so don't let this word, judgment seat of Christ, throw you off. He's talking about the reward seat. The great white throne is that one which is reserved for the devil, is reserved for the demons, is reserved for people who choose to submit themselves to the devil. It was never created for people, but if you choose to submit yourself to the devil, then God has no choice but to respect your choice. God has made us free will, our beings, and whatever choice we make, God will allow us to experience it. Amen? And so that's what's going to happen in the end times. It's going to be fun. Amen? Aren't you glad you came this morning? Why don't you stand on your feet? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And so before we go today, we just want to give an opportunity to those of you who are here this morning, you heard what I taught today. And some of you were trying in your own strength to be pleasing to God. And you realized how futile it was. Because every time you try harder, you fall harder. It's not in your own strength that you live this Christian life. It is in the strength of the Lord. It is in His grace. And so if you're here this morning and you've never had an opportunity to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, this today is the day of salvation. This is your opportunity to receive Him. The catching up, the rapture can happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. But God in His grace, according to 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack or slow concerning His promises, as some men may count slackness, but He is long-suffering that no one should perish. God has been extending uh, years upon years ahead of us because He wants to extend an opportunity to every single human being in the earth so that they can come home. And come back to join the family of God. And so today, we're presenting this opportunity. We want to join our faith with ours, your faith with ours, so that we can pray this prayer with you, so that you can receive Jesus and make him your personal Lord and Savior and join the family of God. And the decision you make today has eternal ramifications. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't done it, to really consider this opportunity. And if you are that person, we're going to ask you now, as every eye is closed, every head bowed, to lift up your hand wherever you are, and we're going to pray this prayer with you. Jesus is... And so, brothers and sisters, please join me in this prayer. You're going to pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come before you this morning in all humility. I've realized... That for me to be reconciled with my Heavenly Father, I need to bring the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what He did for me at the cross. And so this morning, I make a commitment, I make a decision to put my trust in the sacrifice that Jesus is. The sinless Son of Man. That came to take away the sins of the world. Today, today, I declare with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. That he died for me. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And he is now seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Today I make an announcement to the devil and the kingdom of darkness that I am no longer a part of you. I have now been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. I am a child of God. 
I am saved, born again, sanctified, and reconciled to my heavenly Father. I'm a child of God, and I'm excited to be a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so as we go out of this place and we teach like this, just like in the days of Noah, there are some who may say, man, you're building this ark. Where is the rain? And what was interesting about the days of Noah was there had never been rain on the earth before Noah started walking around and telling people that there was rain coming. The ground had been watered from the dew that came from the earth. And so when Noah walked around telling people that there is a day coming where it's going to rain, they looked at him funny. They said, man, you're crazy. Just like some of you, your relatives are going to look at you funny like, man, you're crazy. What are you talking about? That we're going to be caught up. That we, there's a place called heaven. But God is extending his grace so that we can bring in as many as we can. Because the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Not willing that a single person should be destroyed. But that all should come to repentance. Man, God is calling all of us to become his representatives in our community, in our families, so we can tell everybody about this good news. That there is a Savior that paid for our price, our penalty at the cross. And man, you take this good news to everyone you know, so that when you are in heaven, you can have your family with you. Hallelujah. It's going to be a great day in heaven. Amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.